0: This episode is presented by Univar Solutions.
1: Do you ever question, where can I find that ingredient? Can I mix these materials together? Find the answers to your burning questions with our brand team at Univar Solutions. Think of us as your beauty concierge guiding you and helping you find success for your brand. With our broad portfolio of specialty ingredients, Univar Solutions provides those hard to find ingredients right at your fingertips. Allow us to partner with you and take your product line to the next level at beautyingredients.com.
2: Hi, I'm Kendra Bracken Ferguson and I'm the founder and CEO of BrainTrust Founder Studio and to me, it's a matter of brain trust. Representation matters, so does
0: access, education, capital and scale. I'm Kelly Kovac, founder of Beauty Matter. While passion is a universal fuel for startups, If you have big dreams of scaling, passion will only get you so far. Many minority founders lack access to long-term resources to help them navigate big partnerships and sustain business growth for the long haul there's a group of founders fighting the good fight to grow and sustain their brands while creating pathways of support for newer founders kendra bracken ferguson the ceo and founder of brain trust is ensuring that the next generation of beauty and wellness founders have sustainability so hello kendra thank you so
2: much for joining us today Oh my gosh, Kelly, I'm just honored to be here. I love your work. I love everything that you're doing at Beauty Matters. This is a treat. Oh, thank you so much.
0: Kendra, you were and are a digital pioneer. You were carving out business opportunities for bloggers in your first business, Digital Brand Architects or DBA, and then in the influencer space. You know, we've seen the rise of the creator community or the creator economy come full circle with influencers sort of building this power and now leveraging the power to launch their own brands. I'd love to get your take on the evolution of, I guess, the rise of the creator community where we're at now, and then sort of give your perspective on what's next, because it feels like there's Once governments are paying attention to the creator community and making sure they get their tax, you know that it's something, right? (laughs) So it feels like there's a moment that there's going to be a significant sort of next evolution.
2: Oh my gosh, that's such a great statement. You know, whenever there's an entire rule about you and legal proceedings that you have arrived. (laughs) Exactly. Um, (laughs) And so true. You know, it's fascinating to watch the space, to watch the evolution. You know, the first company I co-founded, Digital Brand Architects, back in 2010, we were really at the forefront in terms of calling ourselves managers to bloggers and even before that my first clients when I started my career were Black Planet, Mahente and Asia Avenue and I bring that up because back then creators you know people that had a voice that had a platform it wasn't something new it was just the evolution of what platform or channel are you using to get your point across. And even back in the day, those sites were so niched. And so the creators on those sites were niched. And it was communities of interest that were really driving the influence across the larger industry. So when you fast forward and you think about when we started DBA, there was no Pinterest, there was no Instagram. And over time, we started representing power pinners. And every time a new platform came up, we had to think about what's this new layer of influence? Who are the new creators who are going to drive these platforms to success? Because without the creators, the platforms, they're nothing. They're just another being that exists. And so when we think about the creator economy, we think about all the jobs that have been created, the new entrepreneurs who are really shaping the future trends, who are driving culture. We think about the fact that influencers... Will always be here. The type and the form of influencers, the platform that they leverage to build their brands will change. But as long as there are people who can influence or drive someone to buy a product or take action, the creator economy will always exist. And I think that what's exciting is that there's so many different industries of which creators are thriving and succeeding and leading those industries into more economic success and opportunities and just building Things that we wouldn't have even imagined because they now have the platform and the voice to drive change across whatever industry they're in. It's fascinating, you know, I like to
0: call it historical perspective. <laughs> But influence has always been around. I think social media gave it a power to magnify the importance. But even in the days of print publications, when I was at Bliss back in 1996, like we used influencers. They weren't called influencers then, but we had no money. So we needed people to talk about us. But, you know, when the emergence of bloggers happened, I remember putting PR strategies together and clients were like, I don't want bloggers at this event. (laughs) I only want print editors. (laughs) You know, when there was this period of time where you had to do this education of like, yes, but no one's reading that print publication. I get it's fancy and glossy.
2: (laughs) Everyone's reading these bloggers. And it really wasn't that long ago. It's so fascinating when you say that, because I remember I was the first director of digital media at Ralph Lauren. And so I really launched the brand across different social platforms. And One of the things when we really started getting heavy into bloggers, I would sit with David Lauren for hours and we would just be looking at blogger sites and having to talk to the head of e-commerce about the fact that some of the bloggers had more traffic to their blogs than ralphlauren.com and that this was an opportunity to expand the awareness. Even if you are a global billion dollar company in order to grow, you still have to create more customers. You still have to build your share of voice in your audience. And so when you thought about the fact that, oh my goodness, this blogger has more traffic, more engagement than a massive company, That was the trigger that started to get, I think, people to say, oh, my goodness, I have to look at something here. Because if the holy grail of building a brand is scaling, how do you scale if you don't have the means to do it yourself? And so I completely agree with you. And even when we think about the future of what we're seeing and product development, it would make sense that an influencer can look at their platform and say, I'm driving this much for someone else. I'm driving this much engagement. I'm driving this much sales. Let me transition that into something that I'm passionate about at the product level. And I think that the transition from influencer to product development seems to be a bit more seamless than to your point. Even we think about traditional editors, which are vitally important, valuable, and still exist, it's a different way of thinking and a different way that you've been doctrinated to build your career from the traditional sense of journalism to the entrepreneurial sense of influencer.
0: Yeah, I am dying to ask you your thoughts on the metaverse and NFTs because... It sort of came out of nowhere. You know, it went from zero to a thousand. And sort of from the outside looking in, there are sort of two camps of one being a distraction. And then you have people who are all in on the other side of the equation. So being sort of a visionary in the digital space, I'm really curious to get your take on what's happening there. Oh, my goodness. It's kind of a loaded
2: question, I know. but. It is. And you know what's so crazy is that when I was doing my 2020, what do I need to learn list, which I knew I was already behind, the number one thing was like, I just need to get closer with the metaverse and NFTs and Web3. And of course, we've been talking about it for years, but it was just like it exploded. And so now I've been really trying to get educated. There was a stat in Forrester that 76% of U.S. B2C marketing execs plan to invest marketing budgets toward the metaverse. I saw that too today. (laughs) Right? And it was funny because I saw your question and I was like, oh, (laughs) let me make sure I pile this away in my brain.
0: (laughs) No, I find it really fascinating because I think it's only a matter of time. And I kind of feel like there's this lather that's been created because so many of the big brands were caught flat on their feet with social media and influencers and that first generation. And I think they will never make that mistake again. So maybe they're moving too fast. I don't know. In my opinion, it's sort of like we make money selling things in the real world. And it doesn't feel like the infrastructure to monetize the metaverse or NFTs is really there yet. So unless you have a big team, I think it definitely has the potential of being distracting at this point. But that's just kind of where I'm at. It could change tomorrow.
2: (laughs) But I do agree with you because I think that there's this notion of I want to be innovative, right? I've been talking to different executives and companies like, where does this sit? Where does the metaverse Web3 NFT sit? And the marketing team is like, I have goals that I have to hit. And to your point, it can be distracting, right? And then you now have a chief innovation officer or head of innovation who gets to play and is encouraged to look at all of these trends and to determine where the business goes And so I think that there's this opportunity to test and learn different things depending upon where you are in your business. But I also think that it's part of the marketing funnel that is more about innovation and awareness and less about conversion and revenue in terms of where your business sits. And so as you're thinking about where do I put my time and energy as a business owner, and I work a lot with small businesses, that it becomes much harder to get involved with. But I do think that for all of us in the space, like keeping an eye on it, testing it, I've invested in Boss Beauties. They're actually a client of Brain Trust, my agency. And I'm fascinated because their mission is so rooted in social impact in women and girls. And when I thought about being part of something that puts me into an innovative category and space, I'm learning, but the underlying mission of what they want to do in terms of expanding the growth and the power and the wealth creation around women through innovative solutions like NFTs, that's what gets me excited. So I'm trying to connect it with my passion to learning and then putting on my business lens and working with clients who are in the metaverse and NFTs to say, how do we evolve? And then even to your point about the creator economy, What does that look like through the lens of leveraging brands or partnering with creators to create NFTs? Is that sustainable? The creator is already trying to own and monetize their own content. So how do NFTs play into that? And then I think the last thing is, to your point about the physical meets digital and how much digital content and items do we need outside of the physical world of which we live and which we operate And I get a little nervous about going too far, shifting everything into the metaverse when we're all still living, breathing human beings and we physically live here. (laughs) Yeah. The thing that makes the most sense
0: to me, I always try and boil down complex things to sort of the simplest explanation. The thing that makes sense to me now is that NFTs become the new GWP. So you buy something in the real world and you get sort of the digital equivalent if you are in the metaverse to sort of signal affinity with that brand. But yeah, thank you for sharing your thoughts on that because everyone is sort of at a different place kind of in embracing the opportunity. So everyone that I know is kind of a forward thinker. It's the first question I ask them. I'm like constantly gauging where I'm at. Going back to creators, there are so many celebrities and influencers launching beauty and wellness brands that come to market in a number of ways. So I think the bar to entry of creating a beauty brand has never been lower. There are platforms, there are incubators, there's a million ways to bring a brand to market. Some of these brands are well-founded, others are bootstrapping, but the number of launches literally makes the mind spin. You've monetized over 200 influencer-driven brands.
2: What's your take on this current trend? So it's interesting because where there's an opportunity and where there's a visionary and an entrepreneur in this center, you're always going to have room for innovation and for new products, right? And I think for us in the beauty industry, like I love reading all of the beauty launches that are coming out. And it takes me back to kind of my love of the founder and the person behind the brands because there will always be multiple skincare companies, right? So it kind of falls down to what's the point of view? What does it do? How does it service my needs? And does it actually work? And that becomes rooted in the founder and their story and what their unique point of view is. And so I think it's interesting, especially having launched brands with celebrities, having launched brands with influencers, having launched brands with thought leaders, it's such a different mindset and a lens of how you're going to drive the brand forward. And just because you're a celebrity doesn't mean that your brand has any more potential than another brand. What it means is that through the celebrity, you have a platform to launch, but in order to sustain, get yourself to profitability, there's so much more that's involved. And so I'm actually really thinking about, I've been very focused on especially you know, with our new platform, looking at founders through the lens of people who have this passion, this drive, this knowledge, this insight to create a brand and then figuring out competitively where it sits, how do you grow it? And then what do you need to survive? I've been less Following this notion of celebrities are really the only ones who can drive successful brands right now. I think that there is some celebrity fatigue that's coming in different categories. And I do think that it takes the right celebrity to align with a brand and also for the celebrity to be involved in understanding the business. You know, as a leader, we need a team. Like I have a master's, that doesn't mean that I can write a financial model, (laughs) Um, but it means that I have a team, but it also means that as a founder, as a leader, as a CEO, you still are accountable for your business, understanding your business, how your business moves, how your business makes money, all of the different pieces and putting a team in place who can drive to that. And so I'm more interested in who are the people who are setting up the helm of their businesses and can truly drive and direct their team forward. If that's a celebrity who has that skill set, great. If that's an influencer who has it, if that's a chemist, you know, I am obsessed with Ron Robinson and Beautystat. So talk about the different people who can take their skill set, their POV, and bring a brand to market, but then scale that brand to profitability?
0: Yeah, you know, I think that there, it is not a new perception, but the idea that you can just show up with a brand and all of a sudden Estee Lauder shows up with a billion dollar check, like that is not the trajectory of most brands. So to your point, while celebrities or influencers may have massive social following, the fact remains building a brand and scaling a business it's a really competitive market, whether you're a celebrity or not. I also have a lot of people who approach me and they're like, Do you want to get involved in this? And there's a celebrity or an influencer. And my first question is, like, what's their involvement? And if it's like, oh, well, we had to pay them a million dollars, I'm like, I'm out. If that's where the conversation started, you will not succeed. Because to your point, the celebrities or the influencers need to be all in. It's just way too competitive.
2: And it's really interesting because I have had that situation as well. And when I do work together and it's fascinating because I've said, okay, I need to sit down with this person. I need them to explain it. I don't need five people on their team to explain it or to present it with me. I need to sit down and I need you to be able to articulate it. Or the reality is that there is nothing wrong with licensing deals. I'm like, everyone is like ownership. And I know we talk about ownership, but are you owning something that you are truly owning because you're the center of it and it's your vision and there's gonna be this great profitable story and this exit? Or are you better off licensing something still, you know, if money is your end game, like still building something successfully, but putting yourself in the right place. And so I think that we have been, Glamorized by ownership when, for some people, they're just not in a place to be owners. And I think that celebrities have been pushed into this notion of ownership, ownership, build your own brands. When, to your point, that may not be right for you, but you may be a great ambassador. This may be a great licensed business for you. And I think that we just went so far into this notion of everybody gets to create a brand and you get a brand and you get a brand and you get a brand that we've lost sight of building a brand is hard and you have to understand it. You have to live it, breathe it, and you have to scale it because at the end of the day, it's you as much as it is your team. And especially for a celebrity, you've built this career. So now you're going to put it into the hands of this product. Is that really the right thing for you? And having the ability to take a step back and really think through this true and organic lens and be a truth teller about where you should show up in the process of building a brand.
0: Yeah, there are some brilliant celebrity brands that have launched. And then there are others that just feel like it's very
1: opportunistic. And it's almost like, ah, let's see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> How often do you find a company that offers sustainable and effective beauty products that have the power to make the planet a better place? Here at Univar Solutions, we do just that. We have access to the best suppliers with the best and most trusted products, the ability to be nimble and quick to understand your needs. Our dedicated team of brand experts acts as your beauty concierge, guiding you and answering any questions you may have. Our technical experts create new innovative formats, helping you find sustainable and exciting ingredient solutions for your formulations. Whether it's a solid hair bar that helps to promote climate positivity or a natural bio-based emulsion for your next skincare launch, we offer a complete solution to your formulating and supply chain needs. With our broad portfolio of specialty ingredients, Univar Solutions provides those hard-to-get ingredients right at your fingertips. Allow us to partner with you and take your product line to the next level at beautyingredients.com.
0: So I wanna pivot just a little bit and talk about what you're doing now. So you've had the distinction of being one of only a hundred black women ever to raise over a million dollars in investment in your first company. The inequities and access to capital for black female founders is well documented. Last October you launched Brain Trust Founder Studio. Can you share a little
2: bit about the new venture? Oh my god. It It's so exciting. And it's funny because it really was a culmination of my career. Being a founder, having raised money, having sold a business, transitioned and tried to buy a business back, investing now in other businesses and really talking to founders. I... Was so inspired, but I was also overwhelmed by the amount of founders who needed help. And of course, going through COVID and everything with Black Lives Matter, like it just amplified this notion. So for me, it was like, okay, there were more Black businesses created than ever in history. But at the same time, more black businesses didn't make it through COVID. More black businesses didn't have the reserves to survive. More black businesses are receiving funding less than any other business, but we're the ones that are leading the trends. We're driving the culture. We're outspending. When we think about the beauty and wellness category, trillion dollar industry, the number one leader is ethnic hair products. So for me, it was about okay. I know that we're lacking access. How do we now solve that, and how do we do it as community? Because community has always been the way that we've been able to thrive. And so, the Brain Trust Founder Studio was really born out of my notion to help. And knowing that I couldn't do it myself, I started my agency Brain Trust through this notion of I want to work with smart people that I trust to solve problems. And so, whenever it became time to figure out how do we solve problems to give founders access, resources, a community, and capital, that led me to Brain Trust Founder Studio. And so, we are a membership based platform for Black identifying beauty and wellness founders across 20 different categories of beauty and wellness, and we invite founders in whether they're starting, so we have a start tier, a grow tier, founders that have a business, they're in market, they're trying to get to the next level, through to our accelerate tier where we're trying to work with them on understanding the differentiated sources of capital that exist. Because we also know that venture funding is not right for all businesses. And to your point earlier, not all businesses are going to be acquired by SA or have a billion dollar exit. But that doesn't mean that you haven't built a great business and that you can generate your own generational wealth and generational inheritance. And so that's really what we have been focused on at Brain Trust Founder Studio and making sure that we can really create an ecosystem of not just the resources, but the tools, the education, the mentorship, the community, and these different sources to help businesses grow and accelerate. It feels like it came together so fast. What you've amassed in such
0: a short period of time, or it feels like a short period of time to me anyway, is so impressive.
2: Thank you, Kelly. It's funny because it has been in the works for a year and a half. Literally, we started Thinking about it, I was going back and forth and talking to different people about how to put it together. And so, because I was already working in the space, I mean, we work together through Beauty United, which is a nonprofit focused on diversifying the beauty industry. And so, in 2020, we did our first mentorship program with 50 Black and Indigenous mentees and then 50 leaders across the beauty industry. And of course, Beauty Matter was our partner in making that happen. And so I was already doing the work. It wasn't necessarily formalized, but my whole career has been about helping and talking to founders. You know, through my podcast, Business of the Beat, every week I'm talking to founders. What's working in your business? What's not working? What do you need? So the ability to take all of that and then spend over a year looking at the business, how do we do that? Thanks to our corporate partners, as I'm calling them to say, we want to try this, And then being able to launch. And we're still, I I like to say we're still in beta. We're coming out of beta where we've been testing and listening. And so as we open up the platform to more founders, the goal is to grow, scale, listen, and then provide what they need to be successful.
0: I think it's cool. And I know exactly how you feel because beauty matters a little bit like that for me spending 20 years building and advising brands to now running a media platform and have half of the industry think I'm a journalist is strange to me. But really, like all that experience and the successes and the failures make me uniquely qualified to do what I'm doing now. So it's kind of cool when your career kind of comes together to do something differentiated to make a difference.
2: We're so aligned. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. And I am a huge believer. I lean on my faith for all things. And so when I think about this journey and I take a second to reflect and pray and meditate on it, I'm like, oh, it makes sense that this is what you're doing. To your point, it's like you spent the last 20 years, the gift of gab, my friend, talking to people and offering of help and mentorship. And I think it's also interesting, even when you talk about being a journalist and a leader and everything that Beauty Matter is, it's my source of news and information, but it's also such a community. And this notion of titles, like, am I a journalist? Am I a CEO? Am I an executive? Am I this and that? And having to lean into that in this next chapter of what my professional world looks like combines with my personal passion for just helping and building a platform in which I can do that.
0: Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about the Black Lives Matter movement because it created the impetus for the industry to take a serious look at systemic inequities in the beauty and wellness industry. In your opinion, what initiatives are having the most meaningful impact? Because I feel like to some extent, there was a lot of forward-facing marketing, recognizing we can do better than being inclusive in our marketing. And to some extent, that's a little bit of window dressing, and the industry needed to dig deeper, and I think we are. But I also think it's an evolution, And I also feel that it's not been easy for some founders to kind of find a safe place to ask questions because you misspeak and this thing that now exists called call-out culture sort of crucifies you no matter what your intentions were. So it's been really difficult for a lot of brands to navigate. And so I'm really curious to get your take on where we're at and what's working. And have we made progress, I guess?
2: (laughs) Yeah, no. And I literally was taking a breath of like an exhale because there's so many pieces to that. There's so many components. There's so much emotion. There's so much recovery. And there's so much empathy just across the board. It is very emotional. And with that emotion, we still have to keep moving forward and we still have to be accountable. And so- for me especially i think what i've been inspired by there's a few different things i find women of color i think that they have done a phenomenal job of seeing a need giving opportunity to women of color and helping them with funding. And really, we talk about data. They looked at the data. They saw that they had more women of color on their platform, but they were receiving less funding, and so they made a change. We think about Sharon and pull up for change, running her own beauty brands, but then saying, this is not okay. And having the wherewithal and the strength to challenge brands to pull up and to show what's happening because a lot of times people said and said, I was unaware. I didn't know you couldn't say that. I had never heard that before. I didn't know that when you say, I don't see color, that's offensive. I didn't know about cultural appropriation. I didn't know that there weren't any black leaders on the board or in any level of leadership in a global company, or any people of color. And so I applaud because now we've said, you have to talk about it. And we're not talking about it to point fingers in the long term. We're talking about it to drive change. And then we think about the 15% pledge. I had the honor of joining their annual gala and working with a lot of the retailers who have taken the pledge. And I so applaud Aurora and her team because, again, it's about how do we have the conversation? How do we pull up and talk about it? How do we commit to 15% shelf space and talk about it? Because if we can't talk about it and we can't acknowledge what's happened, then we can't move forward. And so when I think about Black Lives Matter, it gave us the opportunity to have a shared conversation as a nation, as a country, to say, here's what was wrong, here's how we make it right. We're going to call it out so that we can fix it and we can heal together. And then I think to your point, there's people like Rachel from Urban Skin Rx who created a company for Melanated Skin and then had backlash for it because she didn't look like the customer that she was serving. But on the flip side, we have these brands who don't have any people of color, and they are capitalizing off of people of color. And so what's fair, what's Equal and how are we treating people? Cancel culture is awful. There has to be a point of redemption, there has to be a point of forgiveness. And I'm sorry, but it goes back to ye he is without sin, cast the first stone. Like we've all done things that we aren't proud of. We have to learn, we have to move forward as an industry, as a society, as a nation. And so I think about the work that's been done by my peers. Pull Up for Change, i have a Woman of Color, 15% Pledge, even the work that we're doing at Beauty United to really say, like, let's come together. And we all have a different lens, but we're all connected in this notion that we want equity, we want parity, and we want to have a seat at the table. And so I think that there's been things that have been done good. We have a long way to go. You have all these companies and corporations who have made these commitments, I really want to go back and say, hey, you made these commitments. Let's talk about what that looks like in the long term. Because it's not okay if a brand goes into a retailer under a pledge and they're out six months later, or their business can't even figure out inventory because the margins are so bad. And so you've gotten credit for it, but then what happens to the long term? Like, what are the results of all of this? And then the brands who have made commitments, but they haven't said anything about what's happening. How do we hold everybody accountable? Because it's one thing to say it. It's another thing to execute. And so that's where I think we have to have a part two of what does this look like? What have we accomplished? What else do we want to do? And how does 15% lead to 50%?
0: I've had during all of this I mean we've had a lot of conversations around the 15% pledge and the potential implications to your point if the founders don't have the infrastructure and the funding to support being at a major retailer it is a fast way to no longer having a business so what have we accomplished but You know, I've had also interesting conversations. We're talking a lot about C-suite and marketing, but with a lot of product developers. And the founder of 456, we had the most amazing conversation because, you know, she really changed her thinking. She thought that big beauty brands needed to be more diverse and they needed to fix these systemic problems in sort of how products are developed and brought to market. And then she came full circle and she said, I'm not sure they can. I think maybe it's small businesses that need to change. The same thing is happening on the supply side. So, the infrastructure for creating diverse products from the inception doesn't exist products are being created for white skin, they're being tested on white skin. And so here we have founders that are taking it, they're doing their own R&D, she's doing her own testing. And so she's sort of creating the solution. And I kind of feel like there are this group of brands that are building products for melanin-rich skin. And I'm going to make a prediction that they will be the next group of brands acquired because that is how... No, I really, I think there are founders that understand the needs of melanin-rich skin in a way that a big beauty brand doesn't. And that has to be okay. The expectation that all brands need to serve all people A, it's not financially possible, and B, it's a really bad business model. It's never worked. It's not going to work now. So I think brands that are also serving niches need to be allowed to serve those niches and not be told you're not diverse enough.
2: Oh, my gosh. I love this and completely agree, and I think that that's where there's room on the shelf for all of these different brands to be successful and to thrive because we did we used to say that the riches are in the niches right and it has to be okay that there's certain things for certain people and that's what it is and i think that when we think about skin tone, skin color there is a difference there just is that's why when people say i don't see color it's like but you have to because it actually exists And I do believe that there is an opportunity. You know, there's something interesting that I'm finding with founders. And we work with a great founder, Rachel Lambeau, Sade Barron. And she had said that she never wanted to show her face for her brand. It wasn't until Black Lives Matter that she felt comfortable stepping out and showing who she was. Because as Black founders, we're always pigeonholed. As this is just for black people when it's actually for anyone who has this type of a need, no matter what they look like. And so she was sharing that for the first time, she was able to step out and show who she was and her mom, who's her co-founder and how liberating it was. right? And how she then also was faced with this shift in terms of, is this just for black people because you're black? And you don't see that on the other side when someone of another race, you know, a white person develops a brand. It's not, oh, that's just for white people. Like, you know what I mean? So it has to go into what does this product serve? What does the product do? Does it fit for you? And I love four, five, six, and this notion of let's use science and let's create something for darker skin whenever it's needed. In the same way that I think about Brown Girl Jane and what they're building, you know, and their product mix is so different men, women, all different types of people, but also all different races because we all, I love, you know, their sleep product, their rest product. Like I need to sleep as well as someone who may not look like me. So I do think that it is okay for us to lean into what are we good at, what do we deliver? Because if a product doesn't deliver because they're trying to serve the masses, then you're not gonna have success. So we need to lean into that. We need to be okay with that. We need to embrace that. And Kelly, I am marking your words because we are launching our Brain Trust Fund One to further invest in founders. So that's going to be what we're all looking at is melanin-rich skin brands as kind of the next frontier. And I have to say, the question of race is so interesting. It's the same way I feel about hair, right? Because our cultures are blending. People are blending. We're not just here or there, or our hair type can't be dictated by you think this person's black because there's so many things that go into it. And so I think that we move beyond just, you look like this, so you get that because so much of it, like, that's why I love the science and the data of the products and what we're creating, because it truly is your DNA based upon what you need.
0: Well, and I also think that with all shifts, you also, the entire supply, Supply chain, and in in this case, it's primarily formulators and contract manufacturers. There is amazing research and manufacturers like Solescence that are really paying attention to the needs of founders that are building these products, these brands for melanin rich skin. Because you can't deliver a product. If the ability and the resources don't exist to make the product.
2: (laughs) Yep. And that's why when you think about founders saying, I had to create this in my kitchen, I had to go and find my own ingredients. I couldn't figure this out. There's an amazing neuroscientist who is launching a brand and I'm like, wow, you must've had access to all these things. And she's like, believe it or not, I got to the core myself Mixing and building in my kitchen because I couldn't even find the different components that I needed. And I'm in the field of science and chemistry and all these different things. And so to your point, going back to supply chain and manufacturing and seeing diversity there. And Kelly, we're not talking about that enough because people want to say, oh, you're a founder. You like built that in your kitchen. And it was out of need and necessity because I actually couldn't find anyone who understood who had the components, the ingredients, or who also wanted to do smaller batches for us to, to get it right.
0: And building something in your kitchen, it only scales so far. (laughs) Exactly. So I've got one last question for you. Ray and Trust Founder Studio is your passion. It's kind of the culmination of your career. What does success look like
2: for you? So, I am very big on verifiable, tangible results. There is so much talking, and I really want us to do the work and continue to do the work that we've started. And so, when I think about success, it really is not just how many founders have joined us on the platform, but how are they growing their businesses? How have more jobs been created? Have we helped them get to profitability faster through our mentorship program? Were they able to take that learning and impact their business? And what did it look like? Like we had a founder who through a mentorship program was able to open their new manufacturing plant, you know? So it's like, how are we providing these resources but putting clear metrics around the outcomes And how that's impacting the founder as well as our industry at large. And so when I think about success, that's what keeps me up at night. It's like, how do we create this platform so that all founders can be successful based upon where they are and where they want to go? So thinking about in the beginning, like if a founder's goal is I want to sell for a billion dollars, let's get into where we are now. Let's kind of focus on, do you have a CFO? Do you have a CEO? Do you have a social media marketing? Do you need a new manufacturer? manufacturing facility. What are your margins? How do we reduce your CAC? How do we get you into the right retailer? How do we look at different financial sources that may come from a Clearco or Shopify Capital to get you inventory and marketing so you're not giving up so much equity? So success is how do we look at each of our founders, their businesses? How do we create tangible goals that help them move along this funnel to get to profitability? And then when we get there, how is their brand surviving and thriving? And so we're literally looking at metrics all the time so that we can make sure that we're meeting founders where they are. We can push them to get to the next level, but we can also make sure that it's not just mentorship for mentorship, that it's mentorship for how has that now impacted your business, that you can tangibly say made a difference, grew and evolved you and helped you get to this next level. So at a tactical level, we are building this really cool AI based system so that we're tracking. We'll be at a hundred different data points across the different platform so that we can really start to see how businesses are growing or shifting, what's working, what's not working, and really helping to prepare founders for this journey. So I keep saying this, like, I want us to build this massive platform. More importantly, I want founders to feel Heard scene to build their businesses. I want to invest in a hundred black beauty and wellness founders and beyond that just continue to help grow and build the industry. Well, I have no doubt that you will achieve all of that. Thank you, Kelly. Yeah.
0: Well, thank you for your time. And we're huge fans of what you're doing. So any way we can help, let us know. I absolutely will. I appreciate you giving me a platform to share. Thank you, Kendra. For Kendra, it's a matter of brain trust. With 200 creator-driven brands under her belt, she has mastered the create, build, monetize formula, and now she's paying it forward to other Black founders. For Kendra, diversity starts with personal outreach and mentoring. She is removing the barriers of access to capital for Black-owned brands through her latest venture, Brain Trust Founders Studio, a membership-based platform providing an ecosystem of mentorship, education, and community for Black beauty and wellness founders. So in the end, it's a matter of brain trust. I'm Kelly Kovac. See you next time.
2: Hi, I'm Kendra. And for me, it's a matter of brain trust. It takes a brain trust or a collective group and community of people that you trust to solve problems and drive greater impact.
0: If you liked what you heard today, don't forget, rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. It's a Matter of is a production of Beauty Matter. You can find more content and insights on beautymatter.com and follow us on social media.